For the rest of you hanging out here, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 26 and Luke 22. Um, those are two parallel uh, stories about the, the Lord's Supper and the institution. So if you want to kind of turn to those pages, Matthew chapter 22, or sorry, Matthew 26 and Luke 22. You can have a finger in both of those as we um, look forward to talking about that. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, this year I've, I've presented forward to us the theme of intentional or intentional faith for our church. Um, the idea behind that theme and, and what, I've been, what I'm shooting for in that is that we would be intentional in the different aspects of our church. Um, there's lots of different aspects of our church that we, that we have, and I want us to be intentional in a lot of those. I, I want us to be intentional personally in our personal relationship with the Lord. I want us to be intentional with the things we do and the ministries that we have. Be intentional with our building and the space that God has given us. And one way that we're going to shoot to be intentional this year is intentional with the Lord's Supper. This uh, meal that we're about to take is something that our church, uh, this group of people here in this town, have observed for well over a hundred years. Right? Uh, the people of First Baptist Church of Commerce have been taking the Lord's Supper regularly for over a hundred years. But that hundred years really is a drop in the bucket compared to how long Christians have been doing this. Long before there was a commerce, long before there was an America, long before um, all of us were even a a thought, the Christians were doing this right after Jesus' death. They were uh, gathering together in in groups called churches. Sometimes that would happen in a house. Sometimes that would happen um, underground for fear of persecution. This tradition that we're doing today is something that's happened for thousands and thousands of years And we want to continue on that tradition. We want to make this tradition meaningful. So I want to start off this morning. We're going to look at um, the Lord's Supper at First Baptist Church. Then we're going to take some time to look at the Lord's Supper in the Bible. First, the Lord's Supper in FBC Commerce. Then the Lord's Supper in the Bible. In those verses I put forward to you. Um, The first thing I want to talk about at, or the thing I want to talk about at our church is I want to make the Lord's Supper more meaningful in our church. More meaningful in our church. And one of the ways that I want us to do that is to observe this supper more frequently. To observe this supper more frequently. Right now, we schedule it out about four times a year. We do it quarterly. And that's been a tradition. That's the way lots of churches do it. That's the way lots of Baptist churches have done it. Um, There's variation from time to time in that. But uh, right now, we observe it four times a year. And I want us to increase that number um, of times that we observe it in a year. And I'm going to give you four reasons why I think that we should increase the amount of times that we observe the Lord's Supper in a year. Four reasons, okay? First, the number one reason is this. Biblically, biblically, the supper seems more frequent than less frequent. When we look at the supper in the Bible, it seems like they lean toward doing it more frequently than less frequently. Um, I told you to go to Matthew, but um, go ahead and go to the right and go to the book of Acts. We're going to look at the first instance we see the church doing um, the Lord's Supper in the book of Acts chapter 2. Now this is right after the Lord had ascended and the church was growing and they were gathering together. Um, This is, um, in some sense, this, this beautiful utopian picture of what the church looked like. And at the end of chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, In verse 42, 
It says this. This is just a, a small picture of, of what the church looked like at that moment. This really beautiful picture. In verse 42 it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So we see in that verse four things that they were devoted to. The teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Because um, the, that idea of teaching, fellowship, prayers, those are in some sense, spiritual things that are being done, scholars think that that breaking of bread that's mentioned there is not referring to uh, um, a, a just a eating breakfast and lunch and dinner together, but that it's actually talking about this Lord's Supper meal that they were observing. And at this time, it would have looked more like a meal, less like what we're going to do here in a few moments. But scholars think that this refers to the breaking of bread, refers to the Lord's Supper. And we continue on from there. In verse 43, And awe came upon the whole soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending temple together, and again we see that, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So it appears that they were gathering together daily in some form or fashion and devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, prayer, fellowship, and to the Lord's Supper in some form or fashion. So we go from there and then we go to 1 Corinthians if you go to your Bible to the right, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is going to be years later that uh, this is happening in 1 Corinthians. It's going to be in a different location that the, where we just read. That would have been happening in Jerusalem. We're looking at this, this happening later on in a different location. In chapter 11, we see this description of the Lord's Supper. We see Paul, he's giving instructions in verse 17, chapter 11, verse 17. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not instructions. I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. So when he says, when you come together, he's referring to the gathering of the church for in the first place, when you again come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you and I believe it in part. There must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine, uh, who are genuine among you may be recognized. Verse 20, when you come together, again, that coming together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. So you see Paul referring to this idea of coming together, coming together, coming together. That's the regular gathering of the church. And he's saying, as you come together and take the Lord's Supper, it feels like that coming together, that probably weekly on the Lord's Day gathering, also contained the Lord's Supper. It seemed like it was probably done weekly at First Baptist Church Corinth. Okay, that seems like that's how they were doing it at that time, weekly. So in Acts, it seems daily. In First Corinthians, it looks like it's moved to a weekly time. Now, to be fair, there is no verse in the Bible that says... Thou shalt observe the Lord's Supper X amount of times. You shall observe it on this day, this many times, and this often. It doesn't say that, right? There's no verse that will say that. Um, but there's also uh, not verses that tell us about how we should do lots of the things that we do regularly. But biblically, again, number one, biblically, the supper seems to be more frequent than less frequent when we see it observed in the Bible. Number two, 
reason why we need to increase the amount of times we observe the Lord's Supper. Spiritually, increasing frequency enhances significance. Increasing frequency enhances significance. Or to say it another way, when you do it more often, it means more. Here's what I mean by that. There's a common argument that we present that I've often even looked at. It says the more you do the Lord's Supper, it kind of gets less important. Like the more you do it, you don't want it to lose its frequency or you don't want to lose its significance. Because if you do it too often, it kind of loses its meaning, its purpose, its, its feel. Now, that's a, that's a common argument. And here's an honest admission. It's true. Sometimes the Lord's Supper does lose significance. Um, There are times when we come in, take the Lord's Supper, go out, and it doesn't mean much to us. But I would argue that it's not because of the frequency in which you do it. It's not because of the frequency. There are some things that do lose their significance when you do them more frequently. Um, Maybe for some of you, you're finally able to breathe and feel like you're at peace because you're not listening to Christmas music anymore, right? You're like, oh, I can finally stop. Especially some of us that start listening to it in October or November. Kind of by the time you get to Christmas time, you're like, I'm kind of done listening to Mariah Carey. Like, I don't need to sing, hear her sing this anymore, right? You're like, let's just put it away. So there's some things in life when you do them too often, they lose their significance. But for most things, particularly those things that are relational and spiritual, more often is better. Think about this. In your life, think about in my life, when my kids come up to me and say they love me, that never gets old. Every time Eliza comes up to me and says, I love you, Daddy, like it melts my heart. And if she said it to me a thousand times a day, it wouldn't feel less good as she said it more often, right? That's not what happens. My wife, when I look at her and I'm like, dang, you look good today, Whitney. She's not like, you said that yesterday and that's getting just kind of meaningless. Why do you keep saying that? She's not going to say that. When I compliment my wife, she's not going to get annoyed by that. She's going to feel better about that. But think about that. That's, that's how um, relationally things happen in life. But think about in the church. How could we say that of any other aspect of our worship? Would we say that about singing? Would we say, man, we sing every week. We need to stop singing so that it can be more important to us. Let's sing maybe once a month. And let's just not sing at all. We wouldn't say that. How many of us would say we pray too often in service? We have too many prayers in service. Let's limit it down to one. So we, we don't want God getting too, uh, feeling too good about us talking to him. Right. We wouldn't say that. We wouldn't say we read too much scripture in our church services or in our personal lives. None of us would say I read scripture so often that it just kind of gets boring and I don't want to do it anymore. Um, so I'm going to just read once a month. So that way it really means something to me when I read. We don't say that about taking up an offering, right? We don't say, hey, we want people to give less frequently because we want it to be important to them. So don't give regularly. Just give like a couple times a year. We don't say that. In no other aspect of church do we say, let's do it less so it means more. We don't say, hey, let's baptize less people or let's baptize people less often. We None of us say that, right? But we do, for some reason, say that about the Lord's Supper, a tenant of worship that's commanded by the Lord. 
I want to give you two examples in my life, just kind of little anecdotal um, examples from my life of, of observing the Lord's Supper a little more frequently. Um, a family that I moved in with um, after high school, they went to the First Christian Church in Miami, and I went on a trip with them to Colorado um, with, with the First Christian Church. It's kind of just a retreat that they do, a family retreat, um, take families out. And um, being the, the young, zealous, Southern Baptist, argumentative prideful kid that I was, um, when the conversation started up about the Lord's Supper, just it was just an organic conversation. It wasn't like a lesson that, that they started talking about the Lord's Supper and taking it weekly. And I was just, I was prepared to like, I was going to pull out, hey, it's not going to mean nothing to you if you're doing it each week. I, I was prepared to like talk and have a nice little debate with him. But as I heard those people who observed the Lord's Supper every single week talk about it, I could tell it meant something to them. Uh, I saw men get tears in their eyes talking about how much it meant to them to walk into their service every week knowing that they were going to get that physical reminder of what God had done for them. For them, it meant something to them that it didn't mean to me. Another example, when I moved from, uh, when we came back from India, we went to, to live in Louisville, Kentucky. We went to a church there called Emmanuel Baptist Church. At that church, we observed the Lord's Supper every week as well. Um, what we would do in that service is um, at the end of the service, after the, after the preaching, the way the church responded to God, the preaching of God's word was to uh, each row would, would come to the middle, walk down, receive the, uh, the, the bread and the cup, and then go back to their seats. Um, as we sang, you would take it individually as, as, you were, as you were ready to do that. And I noticed in my heart, I looked forward to that response every week. It wasn't like, I was like, man, i got to do this again. It wasn't that it meant something less to me. Actually, it started to mean something more to me the more frequently I did it. Now, those are two, exam- uh, two um, anecdotal examples. Those are just personal to me. But I think that that would be the regular. Uh, I think that, that for practicing the Lord's Supper more doesn't make it lose its significance. It actually builds up its significance. If the Lord's Supper has lost significance for you, it's probably not because you do it too often. It's probably just because we've allowed it to lose its significance. So number one, biblically, it seems that it's more frequent than less. Number two, spiritually, frequency enhances significance. Number three, practically, practically, we need more opportunities for people to observe the Lord's Supper. We need more opportunities for our church, people in our church, to absorb, observe the Lord's Supper. Because if you do it four times a year, it's likely that you're going to do it less than four times a year. Here's what I mean by that. It's likely that you're not going to make it to all four of those Lord's Supper services throughout the year. Right? So here, there, this is a very plausible example. I want you to imagine Bob. Um, Bob Boberson is actually his name. He's a member here at the church. He's a faithful brother who loves the Lord and he loves the church and he loves to serve. He's a real faithful brother. And Bob also loves the Lord's Supper. He loves it. He loves to observe it. He looks forward to observing it. Well, this year in January, when we have the Lord's Supper scheduled, his wife came down with COVID and he he and his wife came down with COVID and he was unavailable to attend the supper that week. But no big deal. We're going to do it again in a few months, right? So Bob moves on. Well, April rolls around, and you know what they say about April? April showers bring May flowers, right? So there's a big storm in a neighboring state. Because Bob loves to serve, he's part of our Oklahoma Baptist disaster relief. Bob decides to take the week and go and help this neighboring state in recovery and clean up after this bad storm. But it happened to be the Lord's Supper week. 
So now Bob's missed two Lord's Suppers in a row at our church. Well, January rolls around. Praise the Lord. Bob gets to make the Lord's Supper that week. Uh, Everything was going good. Everybody was healthy. No storms. He goes to the Lord's Supper that week. Well, November rolls around. It's time to observe the Lord's Supper again. And because Bob's a faithful servant and wants to serve in lots of ways, he and his wife are scheduled for nursery that week. So for a third time that year, they missed the Lord's Supper. Bob has missed three out of the four Lord's Suppers. He, he, He got to observe the Lord's Supper once. In 365 days, one single time, right? That's a very plausible, possible idea, possible example. Many of you who serve in areas, who have families with kids that are in different um, daycares and schools, you know how possible it is for you to serve one week or one month, um, have be sick another month, have to be on vacation another month, and you end up not observing the Lord's Supper possibly at all in an entire year. So observing the Lord's Supper more frequently will allow more of us to take the Lord's Supper more often. And then finally, number four, theologically, we can dig deeper into the meaning of the Lord's Supper if we observe it more often. Here's what I mean by that. The Lord's Supper is, it seems like such a simple, easy thing to grasp, right? The bread and the cup. The bread is Jesus' body. The cup is Jesus' blood. It reminds us of what he's done for us, right? But there are so many layers of meaning in the Lord's Supper. There's this idea of looking back and remembering what God has done. There's this idea of looking forward that that Jesus makes a promise he's going to come back. There's There's the picture of sacrifice that's in here. There's the picture of covenant that's in here. There's a picture of fellowship among and and fellowship and unity with Christ and fellowship and unity among us. There are so many layers to it. If we tried to pack all of that meaning into one or two sermons throughout a year, it would just be too much for each sermon. So in order to to talk about the Lord's Supper in in a more meaningful way and to help us dig deeper into that meaning, let's spread that out a little more and observe it a little more often. Now, I'm you're probably all wondering, like, okay, so how many times do you want us to observe the supper, right? That's, that's the question. Um, I'm not going to encourage us to do it weekly. I'm not even going to encourage us to do it monthly. Right now, we observe it four times a year. To take a nice, simple, intentional baby step, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper every other month. Okay, so that would go from four times a year to six times a year. Okay, that doesn't seem like a big jump. But for those of you who have observed it four times a year, you're going to feel like, oh, this is, this is coming up a lot more frequently. So we're going to observe it at least six scheduled times a year. And if there's another time throughout the year, maybe something like a Maundy Thursday, which is the Thursday before Easter, if that comes up and we want to do it then, or, or if there's another time, we'll add another service. But as of right now, we're going to do six Lord's Suppers this coming year, starting today in January. Um, And I'm praying that that simple little step to say, hey, let's intentionally do the Lord's Supper more often and let's be more intentional as we do it. And let's look at different aspects of the Lord's Supper. I'm praying that it will increase the the significance and importance and beauty in your heart as a believer so that we can be so that we can really dig in and understand the Lord's Supper. And as we do that this morning, we're going to look at, as I mentioned, we're, we're going to look at different aspects of the Lord's Supper over this whole year. Today, I want to really bring out the idea of remembrance, remembrance. Now, if you still have your finger there in Luke chapter 22, we're going to go there. I'm going to read that passage there where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. And we're going to read that 
And then we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to just make, make a few comments on this passage, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as a church. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. This is when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper for his people. He sits down with his disciples, and he says this in Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 14, says this, And when the hour came, he reclined a table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Suffer, For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand uh, the, who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes, uh, for the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed! And they began to question among one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. So we see in here. I want to just give us three things that you need to remember in the next few moments as you take the Lord's Supper. First, you need to remember Jesus's body. Remember his body. He, he takes the bread, divides it, and gives it to him. This is my body broken for you. This reminds us that Jesus had a physical body. He was real. He was able to be seen with his eyes. This is not uh, a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. This is a physical human being. God who had taken on flesh, was in the sight of his brothers in a place in Jerusalem, you can go to it, visit it on the map. Jesus was real. He had a physical body. Um, you were able to hug him. You were able to give him a high five. You were able to um, make a joke with him and, and rib him in the elbow, like, or elbow him in the ribs, right? Uh, he was a real person. And in, uh, just as in the same way you are human, he was human. He suffered in every way that you could suffer. He got viruses and got sick. He had friends turn their back on him. He knows what it's like to be human, and you can identify him with that. But Jesus, he not just had a body. Remember that his body was broken for you. The wounds that were inflicted on his flesh were meant for you and for me. Those wounds were meant for you and for me. And in the supper, we're reminded that Jesus' body was broken for us. We're reminded that there is a true, there really is, in some sense, this physical agony that comes from sin, and Jesus experienced that for us. There's a real physical agony that comes from sin, and Jesus took that for us. And notice that when that bread was broken, it was divided out and handed to the different men that were there, the different people that were there. And in the same way, we're gonna see the bread passed out to many people here today because Christ is for lots of people. Christ is for all people, divided out for all who believe. And as we take that, we take it as the body of Christ. So remember Jesus's body that was broken for you. Second, remember Jesus's blood that was shed for you. This idea of shedding of blood was from the Old Testament, a requirement for the forgiveness of sins. Yet the difference here is in the Old Testament, there were lakes of blood from animals 
But in the New Testament, we see one single cup representing the one single sacrifice that Christ had to make for us. Because it doesn't matter how many bulls and goats you sacrifice, your sins will never be atoned for. Yet one drop of the Savior's blood is enough for all mankind. That's the difference. And as you remember his blood, as, as you remember that sacrifice he made for you, remember that that blood was shed for you. In the supper, we're reminded, we're reminded of Jesus and the sufficiency of his blood, of his sacrifice. And then third, remember the covenant. Jesus says, this is the blood of my covenant. What is a covenant? It's just a promise, right? Uh, we talk about marriage. We talk about marriage being a covenant. It's an agreement made between two people. And really, a covenant, a lot of times in the Old Testament, um, in those Old Testament times, a covenant was cut not between two equals necessarily, but between um, like a king and his kingdom, right? There would be a covenant made. If you do these things, I'm going to do these things, right? There's a, a commitment that's made. And God in Christ makes a covenant with us. He makes a promise. And every time you take the Lord's Supper, it's a reminder of that promise. In some sense, taking the Lord's Supper is like you saying to God, remember you said you'd forgive me. I have sinned since the last time I've taken this. I have not been perfect since the last time you've taken this. 2023 was really hard on me. I, I was not the, the husband, the dad, the friend, the pastor. I was not what I wanted to be. I wasn't as much like Jesus as I wanted to be. But I remember you made a promise that you'd forgive me. Just like the rainbow that shows up in the sky after a rain and God promising that he's not going to destroy the earth by flood again. So when we take this reminder here, this physical reminder, it's God saying to you, I remember my promise. I made this promise to you so much so that my body was broken and my blood was shed for you. I'm going to remember this promise. This covenant that was made is going to be upheld. So we know that in this supper, that God's promise, his wrath was satisfied and his love is magnified. So in the few moments as we take that, I want you to remember those three things. I want you to remember Jesus Christ's body was broken for you, his blood was shed for you, and he's made a promise to forgive you in his covenant. Now this meal that we're about to take can be taken by anybody who has made a commitment uh, to follow Christ, who's turned from their sins and trusted in him and made that public through baptism. This is open to anybody. We're not restricting anybody um, from taking this meal. Just ask that you be a believer who's made that public through baptism. Um, so as we come, I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to have our, our deacons come to distribute the, the meal to us. And then we'll have a, a, a few moments of, of uh, a time to, to ponder on this. Let's pray.